The Dugout Premier League Preview Football Social Daily Is Antonio Conte on the brink at Tottenham? After losing at Burnley midweek, he looked at the end of his tether. But will the Italian stick it out at Spurs? We'll get stuck into that big talking point, as well as looking ahead to Sunday's Carabao Cup final between Liverpool and Chelsea at Wembley. Plus, all of the weekend's biggest Premier League games previewed right here on the show. This is The Dugout, the podcast from Sports Social, featuring former top flight professionals. My name's Niall, and joining me on today's show, someone who played hundreds of top flight matches for Southampton, Francis Benali's here. How are you doing, Franny? Yeah, very good. Thanks, Niall. Looking forward to joining you and Trevor today. So, uh, yeah, lots to talk about, I expect. There certainly is. And as Franny says, also alongside us today, former England and Everton man Trevor Stephen, who won the title twice with the Toffees in the 1980s. How are you, Trevor? Oh, good, thank you. Francis, you weren't born when I won those championships, by the way. Oh, I, I wish that were true, Trevor. <laughs> I wish that were true. I remember, I remember seeing you flying along that flash of blue yeah, and white. Yeah. yeah, I remember it very well. I was going to say, it's more, more black and white in those days, wasn't it? <laughs> The TV screens. <laughs> Francis was born, but if someone told me he wasn't born in 1987, I'd probably believe him because he does look exceptionally young for his age. Which does. Is it's, silly, his credit. It? <laughs> it's all it's all about the lighting and makeup, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good job we don't do this podcast in person, as you'd be absolutely <laughs> toast, Franny. I think. Um, let's get stuck into the action on today's episode of the show, and I wanted to start by talking about Antonio Conte when he first came into Tottenham a few months ago. I think everyone in the Premier League was excited that we had another world-class manager on our shores. But with four defeats in the last five Premier League games for Tottenham, his future has all of a sudden been thrown into doubt, not by those on the outside, but by the man himself. He said some very interesting things after defeat to Burnley midweek. They lost 1-0 at Turf Moor. He suggested that his future might be in question, with some even saying that he hinted that he could quit Tottenham entirely. We know he's an emotional guy, Trevor, we see that on the touchline when he's jumping up and down and barking those orders. So is it just an emotional response from another damaging defeat or is he serious? Do you think he really could quit Tottenham? Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, that That's a possibility. Um, I'm surprised, uh, you know, how he came out with that at the time that he came out with, with it. Um, because he's, you know, you, you always think that managers sh and players really shouldn't speak you know, immediately after a game uh, because it's adrenaline, it's all of the emotions of, of, of the match. But this has been building as the frustration that is kind of boiled over uh, and he's frustrated and that was a word that he used. He's frustrated in what he sees from his players and not being able to react to the things that he's trying to implement. And they're not, they're not taking it on board and he can't trust them to, to deliver performance. Uh, and, and he's questioning himself. You know, he said that, you know, maybe I'm not very good. Maybe I'm, I'm not as good as people are making out. Um, I think he is uh, a top manager. I think the problem lies with uh, mindset, mentality that seeped in over a long time uh, with Spurs. And I think he's surprised that he's not been able to shake it out of them. I think that's what uh, is frustrating him is that, you know, this has worked before. This... Uh, the mechanics and processes that I use uh, I've had reaction I've had success but why is it not happening here um, and, and many questions then therefore arise because it's not him is it it's not him so what, what has gone wrong with this group of players yeah I'm fascinated by this to be honest I, I can't figure it out because like you say it's almost as if he's making the discussion about himself which is not something I've seen from Antonio Conte before at least not when he was at Chelsea in the Premier League and not that I can remember from the little I saw of him when he was managing over in Italy with Inter and Juventus there's a bit of a pattern there isn't there guys yeah. you know like from from Tottenham I mean like this isn't going back before Conte's reign we've seen it under Nuno we've seen it under Mourinho so a finger of blame I think largely has got to be looking at the playing staff and you could maybe look even deeper that the hierarchy of Tottenham maybe even. We've seen Conte already touch on the, the transfer window and how, as he said, his his squad was weakened with the, the comings and goings a little bit. I mean, they've made some, you know, a couple of great astute signings, I, I, I think. But, um, you know, they've got a, a world-class club stadium there and the team are sort of falling behind that now. And it's 
the focus, I think, needs to be on the team. They've got a, a, a serial winner in Conte there as a manager now. They've got the stadium in place. It's, it's almost now the team, I think, largely, that uh, needs to be built. And it's not going to be an overnight fix, I don't think. As you say, Trevor, I think the emotion of the man probably reflects in what we saw in his interview. Um, and also, you can't take away, I think, the fact Tottenham and themselves and their supporters will clearly be seeing themselves as wanting to be up in that top four sort of region of the Premier League and winning games. But some of their recent defeats are against Wolves, Southampton, Chelsea. These are teams that are flying at the moment, you know, and are not going to be easy games at all. So, you know, they're, they're not a million miles behind sort of Man United in fourth. Is it seven points behind them? They've got a couple of games in hand over United. So as bad as it seems, it, it, it it's not as bad as it might look. Franny, can you understand though how he loses, how he loses, and he's looking at the camera or the, the reporter incredulously, how how they're losing four out of the last five, yet they you know and, and the game that they won was at Man City. How how does that stack up? How can you go from that organised professional execution of ninety minutes against a Man City? And then only be able to hit those heights a little bit during games. You know, I, I can't get it myself. I don't know. The, the, only, the only thing that I can find is the player's mentality. Yeah, and I guess that's why Conte is probably having sleepless nights at the moment. And you could almost see that, that emotion and frustration and disappointment in the interview after the Burnley game this week, couldn't you? That. You know, he's, he's scratching his head now. And, and I think it is it probably largely comes down to what you touched on, Trevor, about maybe the, the mindset and mentality of where the players are at the moment. Um, quite clearly, they've got the ability. Uh, you could question maybe are some of the players at a level that Tottenham require and need to be a, a, a top-class side. Uh, you've got to remember we're talking about a club that's chopped and changed their manager in recent times. We The, the success we're seeing with Liverpool and Manchester City, they've over a consistent period of time now, been building their squads. They've got managers that have been in place implementing that philosophy and all the, the, the things that the managers bring themselves. Tottenham doesn't have that at this moment in time. So they've got to get some sort of consistency and stability back. I don't know what you think, Trevor. But do you know, do you know if you take one player, right? Just take, take any player, probably apart from Harry Kane who's probably, and, and Son, uh, particularly, because they, they tend to be the, the most consistent, albeit it doesn't really look like it, but they're just playing a, with, with a poor group of players. If you look at any one player, how do you how do you um, rate his resilience during 90 minutes? Forget about what you do in training, forget about everything else. How, how resilient, you know, to go a goal behind, to making a bad pass, to making a ball go you know, over his foot? Or how resilient are you to get back into the game and get on to the next thing and do the positive thing and affect the game. No one, no, no how you affect the football match, you know, where, where the where the positives come into your game and how quickly can you get back onto that? It seems to me they they do something, you know, not good during the game, the majority of these players, and then they go 15 minutes before they can actually get themselves anywhere back near being effective in the football match. Um, so I, I think that's an issue yeah. which comes down to the player. Well, I, th- I think you've clearly in, in your career, Trevor, been part of successful teams that have had personalities in, characters in, as well as talented individuals. And, and as you touched on, I think, a massive part of a successful team and a squad is the mindset of the players, the personality of the players. It's, it's easy to say, you know, sort of in our area, it's very different to the modern day footballer in, in so many different ways. But I still believe there's a basic requirement for players to go out to run, tackle, do all those basic gritty sides of the game and, and, and manage a game of football. And they should have the personalities within the squad to be able to do that. But they're just not finding those consistency levels either individually or collectively at the moment. I just think there's a deeper question here in terms of we saw when he was at Chelsea, he turned... I don't want to be disrespectful, but probably average players into good players like Victor Moses and Marcos Alonso were the two wingbacks that he had at Chelsea, yet they tore the league apart in that season when Chelsea won the Premier League under Conte. So in terms of the personnel they've got, 
Tottenham do have a, a, a decent players, good enough to finish in the European spots, I would argue. I guess we talk about the recruitment and whether the players are kind of up to it mentally. But I, I find it hard to sit here and as a neutral say that Antonio Conte is devoid of any blame. I think that he kind of suggested himself, like, like you said, Trevor, maybe he isn't as good as he thinks he is. So I guess as a manager, you know you need to take some responsibility. He could be doing better with the players that he's got. And, you know, it does fall on him in the end. Four defeats in, in five. And, you know, that's that's kind of my thinking when it comes to it. I mean, he, he can't be devoid of all blame, surely. No, well, if he's walked into... Uh, into the dressing room there, as he has done, um, taken into the club by um, Daniel Levy. He has had to have known who these players were. Yeah, he should and, have done his research. Uh, yeah, and, but I'm sure that he did. But he's, he's misread it, I think. He's misread exactly um, how, how deep the problem's gone. You, you mentioned recruitment. Uh, that's questionable. Uh, of course it is. It, it has to be questioned. You then look up... at to the top of the club is to, to me, Tottenham looks like a club that's completely run by, you know, the, the P&L, the balance sheet, and not really got a, a process of development as, as a club. They believe that development of, of their club comes in through the quality of their manager with a, giving them some money to spend. It's all, it's all disjointed. It's not, it's not joined up to me. Um, so it just happens, and then there's that bunch of players with this manager, and then that bunch, and then it, you know, I've got a really untidy uh, structure there, and I think I think that's probably where the whole thing starts to go wrong. But that's been that's been like that for a long, long time. I've never known anyone in football, in, in my uh, memory, like Daniel Levy, who's been there for so long without success. You know, he's been there a long, long time. I think he was there when I was playing, you know, I've been retired 20 odd years uh, and I think he was in the football club uh, but they haven't won anything you know, so you know, maybe we're, we're looking completely in the wrong way and maybe it is lying um, that, you know, at that level and they don't have a plan Yeah, I think Antonio Conte maybe touched on that when he said that he was too honest to let this situation pass him by and that the club needs to have conversations with him and assess the future, whether that be with or without him. And, you know, he even hinted that he's on quite a big salary and maybe that is something that, that could cause problems further down the line. I think the supporters are a bit frustrated with the messages of Antonio Conte, Franny. Reading between the lines, I think it's fair to suggest he isn't a native English speaker. We know that he's an Italian guy, so maybe it can be lost in translation a little bit. But one minute, like after the Man City win, he's saying this is a project that could work and he's asking for a little bit more time and a bit of patience. The next minute, like after defeat to Burnley midweek, he's suggesting that it's a hopeless cause and that he might quit the job. Is that just him being the emotional guy that we spoke of a few minutes ago? Or is he constantly changing his mind? It seems to be confusing the supporters with his thinking. Yeah, I guess when, when you're hearing a, a, a different comment in different situations, then it, it probably doesn't help the bigger picture, I don't believe. And especially from a, a supporter's perspective, probably. Uh, we know he wears his heart on his sleeve. It's just evident there for everyone to see. And quite clearly coming straight out after a, a result is, uh, you know, resulting in what we're seeing in those interviews. Uh I think, you know, nothing's going to change short term. He could walk, potentially. I think that would be, you know, chaos then for the club in a way if they had another change of manager at this moment of the season or at this stage. I think they've got to find some sort of stability and continuity at this moment in time. That's Conte himself and his staff, the players. Quite clearly, nothing's going to happen transfer-wise until the, the summer. So they've got to somehow pull themselves together and finish the rest of this campaign in a positive way because at the moment it's 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 just here, there, and everywhere. It's so sporadic and it's it's hit and miss. It's finding those consistency levels that aren't there at the moment, and the, the interviews that we're hearing as well probably aren't helping from Conte either. But he's uh, he, he's that emotional Italian guy that we know and love, and uh, but he's a winner. And uh, he, he, you know, I, in some ways, I'd be surprised if he walked. Yeah, so so would I, so would I. But I, I'm trying to imagine that the atmosphere uh, or that that feeling in the dressing room as they go into their next game now, because what Conte has said is really laying it bare with the players, isn't it? Because that's really where his 
his gripe is. It's not with it's not with Daniel Levy actually, is it? He's not complaining to Daniel Levy. He's just saying that this needs to be looked at again and reassessed. But football really is about the eleven players being picked on that day, and what he's come out with is completely demonstrated a lack of trust in his players as a group. Uh, and for that to be um, swept under the carpet between now and the next games, <laughs> I don't know how that's going to happen. It's messy. It, it doesn't help, does it? With the, these kind of interviews that we're seeing and the fact that we're, we're talking about it like we are now. I'm, I don't know about you, Trevor, but you know I, I very much remember scenarios and there would have been lots of stories and situations where things managers and players could have gone outside of the dressing room doors and spoke about things, but you just didn't. Yeah. You, you, you kept yeah. that, that element of your business behind closed doors, whatever disagreements or fallouts or, um, you know, whatever the scenario might be, you always felt that that was like, it was like a closed council. Uh, you know, there was, there was something that was for the, the, the public face, shall we, shall we say, even if that was very different to the reality in the dressing room, there was always that, what stays in the dressing room, you know, what's said in the dressing room or what goes on almost stays there. Uh, and, and that's not really happening with Tottenham at the moment. I mean, Francis mentioned the word chaos a moment ago, Trevor, if Antonio Conte was to quit. And if that is to be the case, at the moment we're recording, we don't know by the weekend whether Conte will still be in a job. Let's just presume that he does walk for argument's sake here. They would have tried then two world-class managers in Jose Mourinho and Antonio Conte, and it hasn't worked for Tottenham. So what happens then? What, where does that leave Spurs? What happens next if Antonio Conte goes? Uh, pretty well unanswerable that, you know, can't, can't imagine how, how they would recover the situation. So that leads me to the conclusion um, that Franny said uh, that I can't see him going. I really can't. I can't see him going. I think they'll take all of this um, on the chin. This is what I think will happen. The, He'll get his payout if he no, gets sacked no, no, as well. And no, I, I, no, I don't no, want to be put, um, cynical, as, but it no, must be a part no, of it. God, this guy's absolutely rolling in money. He's been successful at the top of the game in, in, the, in the richest period of professional football that there's ever been. Money is not in it at all. This is about... I, I actually felt that he felt with the performance last night and over the, the previous games, bar the Man City performance that this team is starting to really irritate and damage, irritate him, but damage his reputation, mm -hmm. right? And I feel that he can't let that go on. He's had to say this through the frustration. But can we say it's recoverable? No, I think I've got to live with it because that I think the truth is out. That's it. He's not happy. He's not liking it. It's it's not right. This is not what he wants. Um and the players are not giving me giving that to him. They're going to all have to, you know, buckle down, batten the the hatches down, and get on with this. Get through to the transfer window, which I think we all believed was going to be where Conte can make the big difference. But what Tottenham have shown us during this season is that they are capable of winning against the best teams, but they can't follow it up with another another performance, and that is what is completely getting to Antonio Conte. It's mad. It's, it's mad. They've got Leeds United this weekend at Ellen Road, 12.30 kickoff on Saturday. Leeds have just been battered 6-0 by Liverpool. Now, if Antonio Conte's Tottenham don't win that game against a side who are in wretched form and could be sucked into the relegation zone, Franny, I mean, that just adds an extra ingredient, combustible ingredient to the to the chemical reaction we've already got going on at Tottenham. Oh, exactly. Yeah, you know, the, the, almost you want to be coming up against a side that's not on the back of this heavy defeat, as you say, that Leeds have just had against Liverpool. So, yeah, it, it would just heap the pressure on the situation as opposed to maybe more Conte. I mean, he, he's going to be going into it quite clearly, knowing what the club and the team need to do. Uh, the players themselves will be seeing interviews, they'll be hearing things as well. And it's, it's, it's a lot of noise around Tottenham at the moment. And uh, it's, it's, it's not for the right reasons or, or, or for you know, an awful lot positive. So, yeah, they, they're going to have to knuckle down. You know, I'm speaking personally and I'm sure maybe Trevor's been in a scenario in the past before, whether you're not playing well individually or collectively as a team, my all 
my default as a player and an individual was always to go back to the drawing board, get back on the training ground, do the basics well, and fight and scrap for one another in, in the team. And you're going to get games that you're not going to play well in or get the results that you want, but you almost need a basic level of performance and attitude to get you back on track. And, and that's it's going to be a big test against Leeds United because if they don't get it again, it'll just crank up the heat even more. So that's very true, what you just said there, Fran, because um, I don't know if some of these players know what a basic is. I think they know what their best game is, but they don't know what, their, what the basic um, you know, parameters should look like, which is about running around, which is about covering for your mate, which is about getting tackles in, which is about you know sweating you know, your last uh, bead of sweat. It, it's about total commitment, which is, which is the majority of that time is without a football Right, it's without the ball. You're you're putting the mileage in uh, to do that to show to you know all the things that you, you would recognise that I recognise. I just don't think they have that in their in their mentality. I think they're looking to score the goal, have the assist, get the get the stats up, this that and the other, which is in today's game. Um, and I think it, it's way off where the basics are, which you were just describing. Well, what does the future hold for Antonio Conte? By the time you listen to this podcast, things might have changed at Tottenham Hotspur. It's a very interesting situation that we will monitor on this podcast, of course. We'll be talking about two top teams in the Premier League next, though. Chelsea and Liverpool both don't have top flight games this weekend. It's because they play against each other in a cup final. We'll talk about that next after this. The Dugout Premier League Preview Football Social Daily The Dugout, Premier League Preview, Football Social Daily. Welcome back. This is The Dugout from Sports Social, the Premier League podcast featuring former top flight professionals and two absolute legends of the Premier League. Trevor Stephen and Francis Benali are with me on today's show. And it's a big game this weekend away from the top flight. In the Carabao Cup, it's the final at Wembley. Chelsea against Liverpool, two sides who have proven to be two of the top teams in England over the last 12 months or so. Let's start with Liverpool, Franny, in absolutely scintillating form. They're unbeaten in 12 in all competitions. As we mentioned before the break, they've just rattled six past Leeds United in a midweek Premier League game. But that being said, they haven't won a domestic trophy in quite a long time. If they win... What do you think that that could do for them in terms of momentum for the rest of the season? They're now only three points off of top spot in the Premier League, chasing down Manchester City. And speaking of City, we've seen them win this trophy on a number of occasions in recent years. And then they've used that as a springboard to kick on and win the league. So what do you think that that could do for Liverpool if they do end up lifting the silverware at Wembley on Sunday? I think it's very much part of a a plan. And we've heard Trent Alexander-Arnold speaking recently haven't we, about how Liverpool are, are targeting a trophy every single season, at least one. Um, so this, this is a, a big opportunity for them. Uh, you can't underestimate the opposition. You know, it's second against third in the Premier League. Chelsea are just a, a, a tough nut to crack under Thomas Tuchel, aren't they? You know, defensively, they look so much more sound now. Um, obviously, they've had cup success themselves and being current European champions... They're, 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 it's going to be a fascinating matchup this one, but but Liverpool are just bang on it at, at the moment, aren't they? You know they've scored seventy goals in the Premier League, more than any other team in the division so far. Their attacking talent and prowess is just there for everybody to see, and with inclusions like Luis Diaz coming in and you know Harvey Elliott coming back to fitness and players like that. I know Diogo Jota sort of was injured in the the game against Inter Milan, but. You know, he's been a revelation again since he's been at Anfield. And, you know, just the fact that someone, you know, we're talking about the the, the turmoil at Tottenham and the turnover of managers. Liverpool, like City, have just got a man in charge that knows what he's doing, players that know what they're doing, and a squad of players that are at his disposal that makes them a, a formidable force now. So, yeah, they will for sure be targeting this, targeting this as, as a a domestic trophy to, to get them up to springboard, as you alluded to, Niall, mm. to, to, to more successes for sure. Franny's right about Jurgen Klopp, isn't he, Trevor? He knows exactly the formula when it comes to Liverpool in terms of the recruitment as well. You mentioned Luis Diaz and he's looked brilliant since he's come in. Jota is another exceptional addition. Um, even before that, you can go back a couple of years to the Van Dijk and Alisson signings that made a huge difference in that season where Liverpool did eventually 
win the Premier League. But he's been there, I think, nearly seven years now, Jurgen Klopp. At least it will be later on this year. Seven years at Anfield. Just the two trophies to show for it, though. I know they were unlucky in that season where they lost out a point to Manchester City in the Premier League, but they've won one Premier League title and one Champions League title. Now, being a Portsmouth fan, I definitely take that. But being a Liverpool supporter... <laughs> I, um... I forgot about that. Southampton <laughs> uh... and... Oh, Portsmouth. Keep, no. Trevor. Keep us apart. I have to throw it yeah. in every episode. It's, it's... I have to chuck it in there somewhere. But a um, little yeah. hand grenade in there somewhere. But, um, you know, if, if Jurgen Klopp... Um, looks back at his tenure at Liverpool. They've been brilliant. They've played excellent football, but just the two trophies. Do you think that will grate on him a little bit? Do you think he would be hungry for more? I think he's hungry anyway. You know, for for any competition that they're in. Uh, no, I'm I, I'm from the other side of the of the city, right? I'm an Evertonian. I'm going to wax lyrical about Liverpool, but uh, you know, it's tough to do it. But I mean, they deserve it. I mean, the football that he has uh, created and installed it's different to Man City. You know, it's a different style. What I love about it, it's his, it's his own style. It's the way that he wants to play. Um, uh, terrific to watch. His recruitment, which he kind of skipped over there. My goodness, the players that he signed. And it took him, what, two or three years to really bed himself in. Or maybe two two full seasons to get that first trophy. Uh, so he's, he's just a class guy for me. I mean, certainly someone that you can imagine you would love playing for, um, as you say, a bit light on the domestic trophies. This is a this is a good opportunity. Tough opposition in Chelsea. What you've got here, um, going back to the mentality side, is you've got you've got twenty two winners on a field here, guys who expect to win, know how to win, and that that's what makes it so difficult to predict because uh, they are also different in style in the way that they go about their football. Uh, it's a game that I'm really looking forward to. Would would I, who would I pick out as a favourite for this? Uh, I, I would go with I would go with Liverpool particularly because they are so well positioned in everything. They have clawed back this deficit from Man City, which are, Man City are now in touching distance. They have you know free wheeled to six 0 against Leeds midweek. Uh, I watched the Chelsea game and they have a conundrum, don't they? internally with the team selection and it, it was a, a decent performance against Lille but uh, not particularly dominating against the French side I just think that Liverpool um, I think Liverpool might just have have an edge you know, and the speed that they play at uh, is pretty well second to none uh, but Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool have been, have been magnificent and a, and a great advert I think, for the Premier League over the last years. Yeah, I think the form that Liverpool are in at the moment would make them favourites. But that being said, Chelsea are pretty good in these big games, Franny. Tuchel can add more silverware to his already impressive Chelsea Hall of the Champions League and, of course, the Club World Cup that they only won last week. Especially at Wembley, they seem to have made a, a real good fist of winning at Wembley over the years, to, regardless of who the managers are. So when it comes to those big occasions, Chelsea, they know how to play them. They did something very similar in the Champions League last year, where I think many people can admit they weren't the best team in the competition, but they did what they needed to do to go on and win the Champions League. So in these big one-off games, Chelsea are more than capable of getting a result. I think you get these teams, don't you, that uh, you know, are sort of maybe a little bit of work in progress. We've seen Tuchel coming in and almost picking up the reins to a degree that, that Frank Lampard was starting to do with the, the, the Chelsea team. And, um, you know, as, as Stephen's touched on, Trevor, sorry, he's touched on there, that it's, it's team selection a little bit at the moment for Chelsea, isn't it? You know, they're, they're coming back as club world champions. Uh, they've had that, that excitement about, you know, being the, 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 the so-called top team in the world. Um, a bit of travelling and, and, and had their eye off the, the, the ball a little bit domestically in, in cups and, uh, and in the league. But, and there's a lot of talk about around Lukaku and how does he fit into the team and his form at the moment. And, uh, but you're right, you know, they're, they're a team that, that somehow just win games when it matters. Um, but I'd have to agree with, with you know, Trevor on this one that it's going to be, uh, you know, Liverpool just edging it for me, you know, just with the, the quality that they have at the moment, the confidence, the form they're in, as you say, Niall as well. And when you've got players of Van Dijk and Allison, you know, there's, there's positions that have been addressed over recent years by Klopp and the football club. Uh, and then, again, just 
going back to, to Liverpool briefly, you can't underestimate the importance of players like Henderson and Milner within a squad. That, that sort of senior pro experience with the mixture of other talent and young players is, uh, is, is, is a real rich ingredient to have uh, in, in a top side. And, you know, maybe Chelsea don't have that to that degree. They've got a lot of young talent coming through, good players, a good manager, but it will be a good final, I'm sure, a good spectacle. Joe, I think the I think the Lukaku thing. I don't know about you, Franny. Is uh, it's a it's a, a complete distraction to to efforts, isn't it? I mean, he he draws questions to uh, Tuchel at every press conference. It's it's just, he's the starting point. You don't work your way up to the Lukaku subject. You get it in there straight away. Um, but when I've looked at him, I feel for him a bit. Because he's actually, but it's his fault, to be honest, because he's actually joined a team that just does not play his style of football in a league that he needs a certain style of football to make him to make him work. And he has to he has to stay central. He's of no good to anyone drifting out wide and getting involved in play. Unfortunately, Chelsea don't look, they're a possession side. So they're not looking for that ball from just inside the Chelsea half that often to put it over the top. And he, he loves that. And they just don't get it. And you can see him and you can see him make his runs, but you can see that the heads are down or playing a, a more strategic possession game, moving the ball around, moving defences around to create an opening rather than that early opening. And if I go back in my career, just to give you a little example, when, when I played at Everton in uh, uh 84, 85 season, which we, we won the league. We won it in a certain style, which was a 4-4-2, and we we shared the goals around. The following season, we bought Gary Lineker. We completely changed our game, and Gary scores 42 goals, where the average was about 15, 16, between about four and five, five and six players. It was all through Gary Lineker, but we changed our game for Gary Lineker to thrive. But I don't see that uh, at Chelsea, I don't see them doing anything to make Lukaku their centre of attraction or their, their, their focal point up, up front. I think he has to fit himself in somewhere rather than him, despite that 100 million, you know, that's a massive output of, for, for any club uh, and not built a team around him or, or centralised it around him. Uh, and, and I think that is where it's all, it all goes wrong. They look far more lively and better with habits through the middle. You know, and Werner's not really worked either because he's not—he's he's not quite sure how he, he plays himself. Um, but but Lukaku is a, is a conundrum, which is going to have to be faced up to, you know, pretty soon. I just want to check if that's the same Gary Lineker that a month ago you said was terrible in training that scored forty-two oh, goals. <laughs> yeah, I put that in capital letters. And he, would, he, he would he would underline it and agree, but I mean the stats will tell you something different. You know, come a match day, you know, you put it on another suit. Well, talking of stats and staying on the Lukaku tact, Franny, uh, Thomas Tuchel's had to defend his striker after he didn't play um, uh, against Lille in the Champions League because he was tired. And then in the Premier League game recently against Crystal Palace, he took only seven touches of the ball, which is the fewest that's ever been recorded since statistics have started being recorded for these games in the Premier League. So he is under fire and his record he has in big games is poor. Do you think he will start this Carabao Cup final against Liverpool? Because the question begs for me, is he now currently part of Chelsea's best eleven? You'd argue that on paper, yes, but form-wise, I think it probably sways towards no, in my opinion. Yeah, just before I answer that, Niall, I'm, I, I don't know about Trevor, but I'm, I'm so pleased that there wasn't the detailed stats in the game when we were playing. In our, okay, because <laughs> Someone would be wheeling out some stat about me that I just know wouldn't be a good one, you know. So, um, yeah. you know, that, that, that's what the, the, the spotlight that is on players now. I mean, when I heard that about his seven touches in the game, that probably comes back to what Trevor's saying about a style of football in the way that a player fits into a team and vice versa. Uh, it, it's it's a it's a big dilemma for Tuchel and Chelsea as a club and Lukaku himself, isn't it? I, I think in answer to your question, Niall, I, I think at the moment sometimes the best thing you can do for a player, and I I don't know Lukaku as a personality quite clearly, but some players I think when they're going through a rough time, 
and Trevor would have had experiences with, with the teammates that he played with. Some players you can leave in the team when they're going through a tough time. They almost need to be playing still to play themselves back into some sort of form or get back goal scoring again. And I think there was one or two others through my time where I think the manager almost did the player a favour by taking them out of the team and out of the spotlight a little bit. Um, and what Tuchel does have is players like Havertz, Ziyech and Pulisic who you know, can do that role and job for Chelsea at the moment under the way that Tuchel wants his team to play. So I don't know if he will start or not. I really don't. And um, it's going to be interesting, you know, as soon as those teams get announced, because if he doesn't start, it's going to be an ongoing talking point. And if he does play, the spotlight is going to be on him and everyone's going to be counting the amount of times he touches the ball and is he's going to score again. And, and largely it depends maybe what Liverpool do and the outcome of the game itself. If, if Chelsea win and he plays and he does okay, maybe a lot of the noise will go away. But it's going to be a fascinating interest one, this. Chelsea against Liverpool, 4.30 kickoff at Wembley on Sunday. It is the Carabao Cup final. We do have some more Premier League fixtures to talk about next. But before we do, I've had a quick Google, Franny, to see what stats I can bring up about oh, you. Oh, no, don't. And for a long time, you were the record holder for the most red cards for a Premier League left back. I don't know if that still stands. That's not a bad one. Well, yeah, less said about that, probably the better, I think. No, yeah. The, the, let's put it this way I, I, I might have played a lot more games than what I actually did and would have had a few a little bit more money in my pocket you know if I didn't have all these fines to pay for those sort of scenarios but yeah yeah that's probably true at one point it says here in this article uh, five red cards for Benali four of which were straight reds with the fifth coming during a 1996 meeting with West Ham in which the fullback lasted just 26 minutes as a substitute before trotting off again I like that <laughs> <laughs> didn't fancy it that day then uh, that, two yellows he's just, no, he's just been, he's such a calm guy right such a calm friendly friendly guy <laughs> I, I just think he's been unlucky no, I think that's what I <laughs> I agree with you, Trevor. Yeah, thank you for that, mate. <laughs> Always, Always dodgy reffing. Uh, more Premier League action to discuss after this. The Dugout. Premier League preview. Football Social Daily. The Dugout. Premier League preview. Football Social Daily. Welcome back. This is the dugout from Sports Social. My name's Niall. I've got Southampton legend Francis Benali and Everton legend as well, Trevor Stephen, alongside me. And we want to talk about some of the Premier League games that are catching our eye this weekend. We've spoken about the big Carabao Cup final. We've spoken about the troubles at Tottenham. But I want to talk about Brentford against Newcastle in this section, particularly with one of your old sides, Trevor. Burnley starting to pick up some form and winning games at the moment. Newcastle, they've done a similar thing, but they need to move further away from the dotted line now because that pressure is coming from underneath them in Burnley. As for Brentford, they're not in very good form and they're a side that can be dragged into the mix as they're hovering above it. The form suggests Newcastle should win this, but I think this is one that are gonna, is going to draw a lot of attention from the bottom of the table. It's a big game, isn't it, at, uh, at the bottom of the table, without a doubt. Newcastle United have um, shown what a bit of investment uh, and, and, and a good manager I, li- I like. Um, I, love, I love the manager, Eddie Howe at Newcastle. I think he's... He, He's a real modern day manager and also I think a very good man manager. I think he's done well in the transfer market there. Very unfortunate that Kieran Trippier, uh, who's been a sort of a guiding light for them out of this uh, out of the clouds, really, uh, he, he's not available for the next few weeks. Um, but I thought last week I watched them against uh, West Ham and and they they were they were very good. Um, you know, players like Willick, for instance. Uh, was almost unrecognisable. It's like he's found a belief uh, that I couldn't see before. And um, there are several others. You know, Joe Linton as well has been a uh, has, has been terrific. But if we just analyse the game in itself, it is a you know the old six pointer. Uh, it comes to it comes to mind because Brentford are definitely in this. Uh, and, and despite having Christian Eriksen there, uh, that that's no uh, free pass to anything. Um, it's going to be a battle from here on in, I think, you know, for, for both sides. Uh, but I think Brentford, um, because they've slipped into it, like Leeds United, because they've slipped into it, at this stage of the season, uh, it, it's, it's a bit worrying for them. I can't see Newcastle going down, I'll be honest with you. Uh, I think they have got some quality in there. But what, and what I saw against West Ham is they, they do have resilience, they do have self-belief and they do have some quality. 
Sam Maxim wasn't playing. Um, you know, if Chris Wood gets a goal, he'll probably get three or four over a, over a, a few games, uh, and I think that will be quite enough uh, to secure them. So I fear for Brentford. They've been a breath of fresh air, I have to say, in the Premier League. A lot of my friends who who have season tickets at other other clubs actually go to Brentford as well because they love the atmosphere and what they brought to to the makeup of the Premier League. So I'll be disappointed to see uh, you know them if they do go down. At the moment, they'll consider themselves way off it, but I think their form will tell you something different. Yeah, I totally agree. I'd like to see them stay in the Premier League, as you say. I think that they're a, a nice little club to have in, in the top flight, but um, sometimes the quality um, leaves a bit to be desired at Brentford, and I think that's through no fault of their own. You've got to appreciate where they've come from in the sort of depths of the Football League to get up to where they are. They made that sort of uh, marquee signing, as Trevor says, Francis in Christian Eriksen obviously he's not played a match for a long long time since the Euros where he sadly collapsed and and, you know we saw those those unsavory scenes thankfully he's back on his feet again now and he's getting closer to a position where he is able to play this is obviously quite a a tender situation where you don't want to rush Christian Eriksen back but you know he could be the difference maker in terms of the quality that he has so it's quite an interesting standoff I think that we've got here between Thomas Frank when does he pull the trigger and use Christian Eriksen does he stay patient and hope that it doesn't get down to the last few games and and they're really chasing something in terms of survival or does he just go right we're in a tight spot we need to use you now even if it's just for 20 minutes off the bench yeah well quite clearly you know Brentford are been nervously looking over their shoulder at the moment. You know, this this game, as we know, Newcastle got two games in hand over them. They're on the, the up very much with the results and performances they're putting in now. And and Brentford, are, you know, without a win in the last eight games in all comps. So it, it's nervous times for them when you're looking at a lot of the sides below them starting to pick up points and victories. But from the Christian Eriksen perspective, I mean, quite clearly there's going to be those conversations between Christian himself the manager and the medical team. And between them, they'll all come to a decision about when it's right for him to, to come in. Quite clearly, it's, um, it's, it's a huge story. It's, um, it's, in a very, it's, it's a very emotive one, I think, given the scenes that we witnessed in the summer. Um, but it's, it's, it's also tremendous for, for Christian and, and could be wonderful for Brentford as a club as well because you know, his his class is just there for everybody to see as a footballer and a person. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's not a single person who doesn't want him to go in and do well. And touching on what Trevor said about having somebody like a Brentford in the Premier League and what they've done is brilliant to see. And and, and I would echo that and would want them to do well and stay up uh, and somebody like Christian come in and have a positive effect on the team and the results that they're going to need to stay up because at the moment there's there's some work to be done in their current form. In all fairness to Thomas Frank, I think it's a really tricky situation to navigate because I often hear former players like yourselves say that the best way to get match fit, fit is to play matches. And, you know, it, it's it's one of those where you can do all the training you want, but unless you play those those games, it's hard to get the feel for, for the rhythm of games again. So, Difficult one for Brentford and Thomas Frank to negotiate. They play Newcastle this weekend in a big game at the bottom. As for Burnley, they're still scrapping around at the bottom of the table. They face Crystal Palace at Selhurst Park this weekend. Uh, Palace dispatched another struggler in Watford midweek. But Burnley, I can't see them getting beat in the same way that the Hornets did. They seem to have got things together lately. Big Valt Veghorst, Trevor. He seems to have made a difference, not so much in terms of goals, but definitely in terms of the build-up play, bringing other strikers and wing players like McNeil and Jay Rodriguez into the mix in terms of holding up the ball and, and the layoffs and stuff like that. From what you've seen recently from your old team, are you confident that Burnley can survive? Because I think we all agreed a month or so ago they look completely doomed. I think confidence is the wrong, the wrong word. I think um, it's quietly optimistic, uh, I would sort of replace Hopeful. It. Hopeful, yeah. Uh, that, you know, two weeks ago, if you'd asked me the same question, I would have said, no, I can't see it. Uh, I saw Becker's first game, and uh, you could tell he was a trier, uh, six foot seven. Um, the wind's swirling, it's pouring with rain. It, you know, he, he looked as if he was prepared to battle through that, to to impress the crowd, to impress his teammates, and try to make an impression in the Premier League. And he was he, he tried, uh, and it looked like to me. Um, 
you know, maybe Sean Dyche has overestimated him, you know, because he's come from the Bundesliga and, you know, his stats were fine, but the Premier League's a different uh, animal. But what he has shown is um, a determination to, to succeed. And it started to turn itself and convert itself into contributions actually towards the scoreline. He's got himself a goal. And physically, he does not shy away. And I think that's very much what Sean Dyche has always been about at Burnley, is that if you don't, if you're not pulling your socks up, rolling your sleeves up um, and giving absolutely everything plus a little bit more, then you won't play for me. And of course, sometimes that works, other times it doesn't work. And what I've liked about it is they've gone like these long stretches and sat on the bottom of the league for a long time, which is demoralizing, completely demoralizing. And, you know, Sean's lost Chris Wood, but he's brought another player in um, to the best of his judgments, to Sean's judgments, thinks the lad could do the job and maybe just add and give a spark where Chris Wood has probably lost it at Burnley. And, um, you know, it's working so far. They're back in the mix. And who's going to bet against Sean Dyche? Who is going to bet against him? Uh, this, is still, this is still a tough game and a bit of a tricky fixture. Going to Crystal Palace on the back of a superb win at, at Watford, um, you know, where they, they have converted their chance-making into goals. And um, I see it as a very, very tough game. But... I was surprised if Burnley get beat. I would be surprised if they get beaten. Continue just turning the uh, the scoreboard over for them. Too early to predict. There's a few games that need to, to come and go before I think that they're in the position to actually maintain this form because they're going to have to maintain it. Uh, and can they do it? Because it's a small squad of quality that they have. Uh, one or two injuries, I think that could um, undo it. You know, Tarkovsky and, and me at the back uh, and, and Pope are the absolute um, rear guard for them and they've got to stay on the pitch you know, between now and the end of the season. Crystal Palace against Burnley, three o'clock kickoff at Selhurst Park. Brentford Newcastle is also three o'clock. Brighton Villa takes place at the same time. Watford plays a tough test away at Old Trafford against Manchester United. We've already discussed Leeds against Spurs, which is a half 12 start. But I think the bottom of the table, Franny, is looking absolutely fascinating. We've talked about Burnley, we've talked about Leeds, we've briefly mentioned Watford. We haven't even talked about Norwich, but another side who are, are down there and in a bit of bother are Everton. Um, they've got a really difficult task this weekend hosting Manchester City at Goodison Park um, you know we talk about the mix up at the bottom of the table Frank's still yet to get Everton properly firing so I think this could be one of the most exciting sort of battles for survival that we've seen in many a year well you know just you guys touching on the, the, the resurgence of Burnley and how well they've done in recent weeks um, other teams putting you know a bit of a run together Newcastle are looking very good at the moment given where they once were not so long back um, it, it's a fascinating mix-up, isn't it? It's you know, I, I really a few weeks ago I probably would have called that you know, not saying Burnley would, would likely to get out of it, but you can't underestimate that spirit and desire and togetherness that Sean Dyche and the players have at Burnley. Um, it, I can see this one really going down to the wire. You know, you know the the, the final three, um, and yes, Everton are looking a little bit edgy and nervous at the moment. I think. Everton at Goodison is going to be a, a, a big thing for them. Um, picking points up on the road might be take a little bit longer for Frank to, to get right. But I think with, with the crowd and support and home form, Everton will be fine um, from a relegation battle, I'm sure. I've, I've got belief and confidence that Frank will sort things out. But uh, you, you can't help but, you know, I've been there as a player and, and, and as a supporter as well. When you, you know, we've all done it. When you, when you look at your team and you look at that, that table every week after a result or a poor performance or whatever it might be, and you, it just looks dreadful. At do, times, do you know, doesn't it? Frank? Do you have the thing that you know, you're talking about Everton there, right? And you think about um, you know the home form will probably be enough to get them over the line. Uh, no, I, I agree with that sentiment. Normally, that you know that the, the home um, backing from the fans at Goodison. Uh, can be worth a few points over over a period. I just think you no, know, this particular weekend there could be a there could be the possibility that they go into the bottom three, right? Which will be the the lowest that they've been this season. And the Everton for quite a while have not gone up a space in the league or, or one place, and it's been down, it's been staying with air and then going down again. 
uh, and the the fans and, and expectation is massive. They do like to moan when it's not going right, and I can just see if we hit the bottom three, and I'm talking as an Evertonian, it, it is going and it's going to be it's going to be horrible. You know, we've got to get that home game back in and get the points because on a daily basis, the, the fans are really scared, and you've got this big stadium that's under construction. The goals, the money spent, the whole thing. How's it going so wrong? Um, and, and and it's quite turbulent, you know, off the field. Uh, so I I am a little bit concerned that they're not going to. They can't beat Man City. Surely they can't. Man City will be uh, out to rectify last last week's result. So I am sitting here with a little bit of trepidation. I'll tell you that. I, I guess, like I said, Trevor, isn't it when you look at the who they're playing at this weekend, the league position, the potential. I think you're almost like, you, anything you get out of this this fixture is a bonus, isn't it? You know, Without a doubt. Quite clearly, the, the, the most important games are yet to unfold for Everton and any other fixtures that they play against teams in the bottom half of the, the, the division. That's, that's ultimately, whoever's going to go down, it's going to be taking points off the teams that are in and around you that are going to be the crucial games this season. Yeah, you're spot on, Franny. And on that sentiment, I'll leave you with this as our parting comment here, Trevor. Your next five games, Everton, Manchester City, 5.30 on Saturday. Then it's Tottenham away, Wolves at home, Newcastle at home and Watford away towards the end of March. So those next five games, that could that could spell the difference between... Staying up and going down. I, think. I don't. I don't know what to read it. I don't know what to read into that. But any, anything can happen. Right? I'm telling you, it's, I mean, it's that kind of season, isn't it? Anything can happen, and that is why we love this game. Uh, brilliant to talk to you both. Thank you very much, Trevor Stephen and Francis Benali. Appreciate your time on the dugout as ever. Don't forget, if you're a regular listener to the show, you can hit subscribe, and that will you'll be notified as soon as a new podcast is ready. Fergal will be back on Sunday to look back at all of the weekend's Premier League games. We'll be back on Monday to review the Carabao Cup final as well. So have a great weekend. Hopefully your team wins, apart from Francis's, of course. And uh, (laughs) that'll be it uh, from us. We'll catch you next time. The Dugout Premier League Preview. Football Social Daily.